Welcome to the Evolving Enterprises podcast. We have stories of growth and transformation. Today, I'm going to talk about a number of things. I'm going to begin with why I'm passionate about changing and evolving organizations and systems. When I grew up in the 1980s, my mum didn't work. My parents lived quite comfortably in the UK on one salary. My father wasn't sort of at the top of his organisation. He did an ordinary job. He was a college lecturer and he taught a lot of different students over many years. Had great fun doing it. And my parents got by. We weren't the richest people on the street. We weren't the poorest people either. We lived an ordinary, comfortable life. And I've watched people in this day and age who have achieved more qualifications than my father ever did, who have worked a lot harder than my father does, or did in the old days, and they really, really struggle to get by. I think there's something that's happened in the UK, that people are poorer, effectively, that people are struggling much more, and... I feel very sorry for everybody who's struggling in that way. I feel very sorry watching people who are in the middle of organisations who can't really make a difference to the end product, can't make a big difference to the outcome. They're small cogs in large machines who would like to make things better, but actually don't have that opportunity to do so. Companies lose their way when they become less attached and less aware of the environment. And I feel like maybe society has lost its way, certainly in the UK. People work much harder. They don't see as much benefit from that work. And maybe because we've become, as a a society, perhaps a bit less efficient, maybe we've lost our ability to directly make a difference. There's certainly a lot of extra process, a lot of procedure, a lot of um, additional things that have to be done. In the UK, there are vast amounts of quality systems that have been put put in place. The same in many nations across the world. The last uh, 30 years have seen the rise of all sorts of management systems, all sorts of audits, all sorts of quality checks, all kinds of things that have made quite an impact on what we can do. Those entities, of course, have their place. Our reviews of quality have really been able to enhance and make a difference to the way in which our organisations function. I think the problem is that we don't really know when to stop. We don't know what's enough. In the UK, our government imposes one kind of check after another after another we can end up with immensely bureaucratic systems. We certainly end up with those in the healthcare business where we have a very, very tough regulator who has taken our kind of privately owned care businesses on a really tough journey over the last 20 years. It wasn't that long ago. I remember very much a time when many care homes for elderly people were very small places, often a house that had been converted into a place that cared for people at the end of their lives. And while the care provided by those organisations was not 
perhaps the best you know could possibly um, exist. It was a very homely atmosphere, and um, you know adequate care was provided for people in that um, in those surroundings. And people were in a, a small place where they could be with a small group of friends and they could have a life that was a little bit like the one that they had previously. Nowadays in the UK, those entities don't exist at all. Um, the government has imposed things like minimum room sizes. They've imposed some very tough rules on how wide corridors can be. Um, they've imposed a myriad of different rules on any provider. And so those typical uh, small entities don't exist anymore. You're not allowed to run a care home in a building that you used to be able to run one in. And so, of course, the market now has become very corporate. We end up with one corporate brand after another. The fees have gone up quite substantially in that uh, area. And to some extent, the quality of care uh, has improved. But in another way, that sort of we've lost that kind of homely um, sort of small scale entity. It's one example of where our approach to doing things has changed markedly. And that's made a very big difference to all the people who work in those establishments. It's made a big difference to the way that that sector works. I'm not suggesting we turn the clock back uh, all those years and that everything about the, the old way of doing things was good. I think having a regulator and having a structure and policies in place that improve care is, is important. Certainly, um, you know, people need to be provided with a good home, a place that does genuinely care for them and genuinely look after them. But it seems that we've we've sort of lost some of what we used to have. We've thrown it all away in this rush to do something better. We've ended up with now corporate chain after corporate chain. We've ended up paying a lot more for care for our elderly than we used to pay. And I'm not sure that that was what the government intended when they imposed this um, set of targets on the industry. There are many other examples of organisations that have lost their way. Within the UK, when someone has died, the process of moving the asset that that person has uh, to another person involves applying through a court for probate. That process is massively elongated and currently the probate office in the UK won't talk to you for 16 weeks after you've put the application in. And you think, really, how is it possible that they won't even have a conversation with you. They won't even allow you to just check that the application has even gone in, that it's okay, that there isn't some spelling mistake or a date wrong, which means that in 16 weeks, all they're gonna do is just throw it in the bin. So it seems we're, we're stuck with this very kind of corporate, very mechanistic approach to things. And the people who work in those systems are struggling because Many of them would like to do better, but the system is locked and it's stuck. And that's what I'd really like to explore today. Why are systems locked? Why are they stuck? Why don't we manage to change a system from within so easily? And I think part of the issue is around the perception of a problem. 
the, the people who can control and can change the system often aren't that aware or that engaged with you know, the, the system itself. The people, for example, who have authority over the probate office are effectively the UK government and um, the people who execute the government's business. Well, the UK government, I'm sure, would be concerned about the fact that the probate office is not maybe all that it could be. But they've got a lot of other things to worry about. And so it's not really up there as front and centre of their radar. If it didn't work at all, if there wasn't one single application that went through, then, yeah, I'm sure then the government would be quite worried about it. But if it sort of ticks along and it's just about OK, then we can live with it. And it's very much like that with many things that you find in the corporate world. I was working uh, recently with an organisation which was very stuck. And some people wanted within the organisation some change. But quite a lot of them really, really didn't. They didn't want to move the organisation forward very much. And so my job was quite challenging as a consultant to come in and ask all sorts of difficult questions. I asked a lot of questions about the rational. I asked quite a lot of questions about the emotional. And beforehand, I did my homework on the politics. So the three forces that really um, need to be considered by any consultant are those. Rational, emotional and political. And gradually, as I worked my way through asking, well, why is this where it is and why would we be doing that and why should we do something else? We began to get to a point where the group of stakeholders, the board of the organisation, worked more closely with me in thinking about what you might do. And as I started to ask questions about structure of the organisation, how it might best be structured and whether there were alternatives, eventually I got quite a response from some of the board members. People started to think about, well, OK, if we, if we added in this particular committee, this would be the effect. Great. What would happen if you took away another committee? What would happen if you relabeled it? What would happen if you adjusted it? What would happen if you um, readjusted some of the functions of the board? Slowly, people started to engage and look at, OK, well, that, that would cause this. This would cause something else. Ah, oh, that's interesting. And the turning point for this particular activity came during one of those board meetings. And it came when people became more participative. There was less of a need to lead every single part of that conversation. It's fascinating to see, really, what leads to the turning point. The, the turning point is obvious when you get there. You can feel the turning point, you can see it. But that's the beginnings of the activity. What we have to do then as, as a group of consultants is, is literally to cultivate that um, those, those sort of new seedlings. We need to try and get a single direction from uh, that group of people who are working together. Getting a single direction can be really, really hard. So at the beginning, people are pulling in all sorts of different directions. And the reason the organisation is what it is, is largely because of an almost stalemate of one force pulling a bit against another and, and you know, no one wanting to push things too far, no one wanting to give way too much. Um, you end up in a situation where nothing really changes and moves forward. As you start to ask questions you can get underneath at least some of those forces. You can get underneath where the issues are. And so starting to get 
people to think about a single direction for a Get Well programme, a single direction to move forward, is always a real challenge. I think people need to be able to question. No one is ever going to roll over in a situation like that and say, oh, it's all right, no, you can, you can have it your way or have a bit more or something like that. They have to be able to see what the purpose is and why we suggest that you might want to move forward in a certain direction. It takes a lot of question, it takes a lot of time, but once you can get the beginnings of that Get Well programme, we're in, sort of embedded with not just one or two of the key stakeholders. It's no good just having the chairman and the managing director on site. You need to have a lot of the board on site with you. And that's always really difficult. People will always have different views on how things are. But that early work of essentially going through and asking lots of questions and allowing the board members to ask questions really does gel and that group together. And if you can come out of that with a single direction, it becomes a whole lot easier to take that journey and to move an organisation forward. And that gets me back really to my passion of why do I want to do this? I genuinely do love to see organisations that have found their place. Nobody really wants to work for an organisation that does something but doesn't really do it very well. Plenty of people do, but it doesn't add a spring to your step. It doesn't bring you something where you can come into work with great joy. A vision, though, does. A vision unites people. There are lots of visions around. Probably one of the best known was John F. Kennedy when he talked about putting a man on the moon and bringing the man back safely to Earth. That was a really powerful vision and that united everybody within NASA. So there were stories about the toilet cleaner in NASA who said, I'm cleaning the toilet so that we can put a man on the moon. And it's wonderful when you can have something that unites a group of people so strongly that every single activity leads to that outcome. What I do in encouraging the stakeholders to find their way forward is to try and identify that vision. My vision is about trying to make organisations more efficient, trying to make the lives of people who work in those organisations better. The vision that comes out from each organisation is different. It's always fascinating and it's always just so amazing to see how the vision kind of appears and how it, if you've taken enough time, it's always so right for the organisation and it allows people to be able to move forward. It allows the board to communicate down into the organisation very clearly about what's needed and it allows then a discussion about how that can be delivered and what's good, what's not. And then it allows the individuals at every level in that organisation to think about how do you best deliver against that vision. It's a very powerful way of doing things. So going through and uniting people in a vision is, is so important. It's one of the things that can make a huge difference. The British Army uh, came across a, a very similar thing. It was called Commander's Intent. And so previously what was done was essentially a small chunk of each vision was communicated down to the lower levels of the army. And what you, you may be just ordered to go to a certain place and 
defended or something like that, having no idea of what was going on within the rest of the activity. If you knew what the commander's vision was, you would stand a much better chance of knowing what to do if you couldn't get to that place to defend it, or if you got there and there was no action happening and you could very easily go and help with something else. It allows people to really take their full place in an activity and to join uh, together as one. Visions are so important. Finding that vision is, is vital. The army found that it made a really big difference in being able to control uh, very effectively a, a huge group of individuals. You were able to give people a, a chunk of the activity and they could then, to an extent, self-manage. There is always an issue within Western armies about how much autonomy people get. Certain things have to be referred up. Uh, so, for example, if you're a commander and you're likely to cause quite a bit of collateral damage, so damage that's not required in removing some something or someone, you'll need authority for that. So you will be given an authority to make certain decisions. You can take out uh, you know, particular targets, something that's defined as a military target in a relatively straightforward environment. If it's in a desert, the sand around it, you're allowed to do what you want with that target. But if it's in a town and there's a danger of maybe blowing up something else, a school, for example, nearby, those are decisions which would need to be referred up, and quite rightly so, because in, in any military operation, it's essential that the, the people conducting that operation do it within what's known as the rules of engagement of uh, that campaign. And so what you end up with a lot is the toing and froing of messages of, you know, can I do this? Oh, well, the, the van's moved away. It's too late anyway, even if you'd wanted to. Uh, am I allowed to do this? Quick, tell me. Mm, OK, opportunity's gone. So by being able to convey intent down, uh, you're able to make those people more effective. There is still a, a need to go back and for them to ask for permission in a number of circumstances, but an intent helps people to make good decisions. If they're allowed to, to move to somewhere different, if they're allowed to do something, then they can follow that intent. A similar thing follows within companies. The more we can convey a mission downwards, the more we can allow uh, individuals to make decisions for themselves the more likely they, that we are to achieve our, our intent. You don't have to micromanage everybody. So that vision is essential. So my, my role in that get well plan is to really try to get the, the board of an organisation to convey a clear mission, a vision down through the organisation, not some great management speak, well, we're we're going to maximise our profits this year or something like that, but a real mission, a real vision, something that people can buy into, the man on the moon type vision, something tangible, something that's meaningful. And that vision needs to be communicated in a, a, a succinct way to everybody. If you're in marketing, here's what it means. If you're in sales, if you're in product design, this is what it means. We need better quality. We need a higher um, impact. We need more features, whatever it is. That vision needs to be communicated so people can work forward with a single direction. The moment you can achieve that, you can achieve huge efficiencies. 
I don't mean efficiencies just in the traditional sense of a sausage factory where you get more sausages out, but you get better quality sausages. You get better variety in sausages. When your sausages are produced, they're much more likely to sell because the people who are making the sausages are engaged with the people who are uh, actively marketing them. Those people are engaged with a community who are sausage fans. It, it works really well. If everything happens in isolation, if we're all in stovepipes, then all that happens is you end up producing not really great quality sausages, which um, sort of will just about sell at the right price. And the, the whole organisation is less dynamic. People work very, very hard in these less dynamic organisations. So for me, I would very much like to see us go back to a society where people have more time. People have those opportunities to grow and to develop and to do well. I would like to see us go to a time where everybody works very hard towards a vision. But we don't have to work long hours to work very hard towards a vision. We simply make the, the most of every single second that we have. And that's why I really am so passionate about evolving enterprises. It's so important. It affects each and every one of us. If we get it right, we as a society will become more efficient, we'll become more productive, we'll become happier. You're much happier if you're committed to a vision. This is the Evolving Enterprises podcast. Thank you for listening.